welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today, May 1st. Frank Stanfield here with Adam, Scott, and Chris. Guys, I wish that we actually did a podcast yesterday because yesterday's podcast was our live stream from Wednesday night so that I would have had the ability to play It's Gonna Be May before May, but now it's May 1st, so I don't know if it has the same effect. You can't play it. If you play it, everyone's going to laugh at you. Play oh, okay. Okay. Play it. I want to hear it. Play it. Play it. Well, I have four different it's going to be Mays, so I wanted to kind of get your guys' opinion on Vote. which one sounds the best. Let's go. In sync off here. It's already May. It's going to be May. <laughs> Pretty good one. That's, that's the best. Ooh, yeah, a little, it's little gonna flair be there. May. Ooh. It's going to be May. Ooh, Ooh, I like that one. It's either two or four. Yeah. I think it's Are two we... or three. All right, play them again. Play two, three, and four. It's gonna be May. Ooh. It's gonna be May. No. Too hollow. It's gonna be May. Oh, that's the one. It's four. It's how four. Did, I'm on two. Did, how did Justin Timberlake, of all people, become like the most enduring star of the late 90s, early 2000s pop star movement? Like... The dude with like the bleached blonde, like gelled curly hair. I raised. Who I, didn't I, really have a good voice. I see. Isn't your, that I see, attractive? I what? I see your Justin Timberlake, <laughs> and I raised you Jennifer Lopez. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I agree with that. Actually, that's that's fair. J Lo is much better than Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake, low key. No, he's. I think he's very talented. I think he's a good actor, and I think he's very handsome. Chris, I have no problem with just. I'm a big Timberlake fan. I'm voting for number two. Scott's voting for number four. Chris, what's number it gonna two. be? Number two. Yeah. Number right. two. Number four didn't even make my shortlist. <laughs> it wasn't even in his top four. <laughs> All right, it's gonna be May. I think my biggest takeaway there was that Chris is jealous of Justin Timberlake because he has awesome bleached hair that is very curly and awesome uh and chris just shaved his head again today so i i that's what i'm gathering from this discussion but today on the show what i want to do is i want to get everybody involved so i want to talk to some of the shallower leagues i want to get into some of the deeper leagues we'll answer your questions a little bit later on fantasy baseball at cbsi.com i want to do two deep dives today we haven't done two on one show but we're going to deep dive gary sanchez and chris paddock that is for our shallower leagues. And then in our deeper leagues, we're going to get into some interesting players who are backups on their current teams. Things might change with the universal DH, but we'll talk it out. But that's where I want to start. I want to start off with a deep dive for Gary Sanchez, who I think most people have universally ranked inside their top two at the catcher position. Uh, Look, when I was deep diving Gary Sanchez myself, He's such an interesting person to try and figure out because we know that he has all the upside in the world. Like 34 home runs last year, was first at the position, 77 RBIs, second at the position. Um, He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's stayed healthy for 122 games just once in his career. 
uh, the plate discipline, career-high chase rate last year, um, tons of strikeouts, the swinging strike rate. Like, the batted ball data, career-high 42% hard contact rate last year, um, by far the lowest ground ball rate, and he also raised his line drives. He raised his his fly balls from last season as well. It's just trying to figure out Gary Sanchez is one of the most confusing things for me. Um, Scott, I mean, you know, I, I've heard you say in the past that you want to rank him as your number one catcher. I mean, what is holding you back from doing that? Uh, a couple of things. I think the floor is lower than Rio Muto. I think the obviously the health concerns are probably the biggest thing. But, uh, you know, it 34 home runs leading the position. He did that in 106 games, which is worth pointing out. I do feel like we have yet to see the very best version of Gary Sanchez. And yet he's already 27, which is getting getting up there for a catcher. He's you know, usually by age 30, we're expecting a drop-off. So he's 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 got to deliver his best outcome soon if it's ever going to happen. And yet he took a step back in terms of performance last year. Uh, when we were most excited about Gary Sanchez the year he first came up and hit 20 homers in 53 games and uh, what to this point is his best year that sophomore season when he hit 278 with 33 home runs, he was a more well-rounded hitter. It wasn't just all about the power, but since then the strikeouts have gone up and you, you noted that uh, he hit fewer ground balls than ever. I think he went a little too far in that direction. I mean, the expected mm-hmm. batting average shows it. He hit only 247. He went from having a kind of average Babbitt profile where you'd expect the Babbitt to be right around 300 to a bad Babbitt profile. It was only 244 last year and it led to him hitting 232. So yeah, so his expected batting average was 247? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and he hit 232. He, you know, he hit 232, so he still had, you know, you could interpret that as he had some bad luck in that regard, but like, he's got to reverse those trends to get back to being, a, a, you know, a competent source of batting average. So I'm a little concerned that, He's skill wise, he's trending the wrong way and, and there's the constant injury risk with him. So I'm I'm never that excited to draft him. I've I've been much more even though he goes earlier, I've been much more likely to draft Real Muto this year than I have been Sanchez. I'm I'm happy enough to wait for you know, whichever goes last of Wilson Contreras, Yasmani Grandal and, and Mitch Garver. Uh, because relative to where they're going, I think Sanchez's downside might be might be more dangerous. In conclusion, Gary Sanchez is a land of contrasts. <laughs> but, is, but but you know he's going to hit a lot of home runs. Yeah, he, he, there, he There's is, no way he won't. He is a an incredibly extreme hitter. Uh, you know, when he hits the ball, he hits it really, really hard. 99th percentile in barrel rate, 84th percentile in exit velocity. Uh, the problem is... You know, he actually lowered his pop-up rate last season, but the problem is he increased his fly ball rate. So the number of pop-ups are dead balls, basically. They, they just, you might as well not run to first base, uh, especially for fantasy, because if it does drop in, it's an error anyway. Um, and so you're taking a significant number of his at-bats and you're basically lopping off 28% of them with, strikeouts you're lopping off 18 or 12 percent of them with pop-ups 
you know, that leaves only 60% of his at-bats where something good can happen. That's a, that's a really tough profile to make work. Now he has the skills to do that, uh, specifically with the power, but I don't know. At, at this point, it's hard to see him ever getting back to that, you know, 292 expected batting average that he had in 2017. Um, you know, he would have to take a significant step forward in terms of his skills. And I'm not sure that's coming. Adam, I know that you like to look at splits. You're big on splits here. And Gary Sanchez, I mean, part of what's so frustrating to evaluate is that last year he was great against righties, was not so great against left-handed pitching, a 200 batting average, 759 OPS last year, whereas in his career, 226 average against lefties, not great, but an 841 OPS against lefties. And last year, great at home, was not good on the road. Uh, In the second half, Infield fly ball rate went up 7%. Hard contact dropped 13%. He was dealing with that groin injury. Are, are you someone who's likely to draft Gary Sanchez? His ADP is at 76.4. Are you someone who's going to be like one of the first or second people to take a catcher off the board, Adam? I've been saying that I think Real Muto and Sanchez have great ADPs. And I am pretty sure, I'm trying, I was going to do the math, I, didn't, I ran out of time, but I am pretty sure they average the same amount of fantasy points per plate appearance, like like almost identical. Um, and that was with Gary Sanchez hitting in the 230s. You missed one. So, yes, I would I would be happy to draft them both. I agree with Scott. I'd rather take Real Muto even though he goes earlier. Um, but if it's two rounds earlier, I'd rather take Sanchez. If it's, Sanchez. If it's one round earlier, I'd rather take Real Muto. You missed one split that I think Chris is going to find very interesting. He hit 10 home runs against Baltimore. And I don't think he hit more than three against any other team. I believe, watching Gary Sanchez, I believe he is sort of like kind of what happened to Mark Teixeira when he went to the Yankees, just got obsessed with hitting home runs. And he he is he abuses bad pitchers. Um, he's a very frustrating hitter. Yankees fans can't really stand him. I have no faith in him to come up like big against the good pitcher. He's shown that. He showed that in the playoffs. So I think he just needs to sort of change his approach and get back to being a better all-around hitter. But last year, he just sold out for power. And that's going to limit his upside because it's going to kill his batting average. But he's always going to have a high floor, I think. I disagree with Scott a little bit. I think he has a high floor because I expect him to lead the position in home runs, you know, at least home runs per plate appearance. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I think relative to the position as a whole, you could say it's a high floor. But relative to other high-end catchers, I feel like it's a low floor. I guess He's the, well... I don't know, because I just think he's got so much more power, so much more home run ability than Real basically Muto, every, every catcher. Real Muto is basically the only high-end catcher who has a high floor, right? No, like Yasmani Grandal, high. Yasmani um, Grandal has the same batting average concerns as Gary Sanchez, though. Look, 2018, two years ago, Gary Sanchez hit 186 in 89 games. You know, sure, that's, but that that's was... pretty low floor. <laughs> Sure, but Yasmani Grandal has <laughs> never been a good bat- batting average guy either. You know, you're yeah, you're looking that's... at like he hit 228 in 2016. Uh, the best he's done over the last five years is 247. But he's that's consistent a... though. He he's like Chris Davis with a K. Like, you know what you're gonna get. It's gonna be between 230 and and 245. That's he's basically 31. where he lives. He's 31. That's that's the knock I would have on Grandal, but. I mean, I expect Rondal Hood for better batting average than Gary Sanchez. I just think what what brings me back to Sanchez is that if he can 
just become a better hitter. And, God, he chases such crappy pitches. He's so frustrating. Ah! <laughs> if he could just, like, grow up a little bit, basically. But you, just then then he, could honestly, he could honestly be, like, a second-round yeah. type of player. However, however, with the way the schedule is going to be this year, I suspect catchers are going to lose value because the more doubleheaders you have, the more they have to sit. In my, That's the way I see it. So I think normal year... You know, he'd be very enticing. We'll have to see the way they, they make the schedule. I think it's going to hurt catcher in general. But I do think he has the highest ceiling Absolutely. of any player at the position. Like, you're talking about he's the only guy who can challenge for Javi Lopez's record for home runs by a catcher. Yes. What is it? 43. Yeah. Well, he, he obviously he Not can't do that year. this year, but uh, yes, that pace, yeah. Yes. If he were to play 120 100, imagine, if he plays 130 games, you're right, Chris. He's probably pushing that record. Last year, 34 home runs in 106 games. Just to put a bow on this and put it in perspective, you mentioned the ADPs. If you can get Gary Sanchez two rounds later, that's something you would be interested in doing, Adam. JT Real Muto, 52.6 ADP, according to Fantasy Pros. Gary Sanchez, 76.4. So right around two rounds of value there. And I think if you're just talking about that specifically, yeah, why wouldn't you wait two rounds and, and potentially get the uh, upside of a number one catcher? So there you go. That's Gary Sanchez. Uh, and I mentioned we want to talk a little bit about some you know, interesting players who are backups. And you know, why are they interesting? It's things that they can provide. It's underlying statistical things that we've noticed. Um, and we've said recently, I think when we were talking about Nick Senzel. Senzel. That no, we're gonna do paddock a little bit later on, Chris. I, I just responded to your chat <laughs> on the air. <laughs> but, so what I plan to do was like one deep dive, then we'll go into like some of the deeper league players, and then we'll go back to Chris Paddock and answer emails. Okay. So uh, that's what I have here. Um, Good meeting. <laughs> uh, but for the for some of these players, it's we said it about Senzel. It was. If you hit, if you perform, you're going to get the opportunity to play. Talent wins out. It's a little bit tougher to make that case for someone like Mike Ford, for example, because he plays on a stacked Yankees team, and they're trying to compete, and they have a ton of depth. So, you know, even if Luke Voigt were to get hurt again, which is not impossible, they have Miguel Andujar, who they can potentially use at first base. You know, they can get creative. Um... You know, if even if Stan gets hurt, who's supposed to be the DH? They can then use Andujar. They can use Clint Frazier. They can Mike use Talkman. Mike Talkman. Yeah, exactly. So there's just so many names there. But Mike Four in particular is one that I did want to bring up because he just stands out in in so many places for what he did uh, last year. And looking at what he did, he hit 12 home runs in 50 games. So I mean, just 150 game pace. That's 36 home runs. His swing is perfectly built for Yankee Stadium. 44% fly ball rate, 44% pull rate, uh, and he hits the ball extremely hard. So, Scott, I know Mike Ford is someone that has caught your attention, but it just comes down to, you know, how can he possibly get on the field, which is, is the main question. I know, and it's it's frustrating because he's already 27. I, I like Luke Voigt, so I'm, I'm not exactly rooting against Luke Voigt. But when you talk about all these... Yankees hitters that are competing for playing time, the one who has the most impressive data is Mike Ford. I mean, well. a, a, 
elite exit velocity, a lot of fly balls, a lot of line drives too, I think, and 17.2% strikeout rate. I mean, that's low. Like, he's a great contact hitter. 10.4 walk rate. He gets on base a ton. Actually had an on-base percentage over 400 the last two years in the minors. So he's got he's got the best strikeout-to-walk ratio of any of them. And he makes the quality of contact that generally leads to huge production. Um, really, it doesn't even matter the environment, but particularly one that's so inviting for power hitters like this one. I, I think he could be an absolute monster. He's a left-handed hitter who actually had better numbers against left-handed pitchers last year. So it's not like there's an, a, a big platoon concern there. I, I'm... I, I think it'll be sad if Mike Ford's opportunity passes him by here, but since he's already 27, uh, you know, it, it just may never happen for him. I feel like we're painting a much too optimistic picture for I'm Mike just Ford. I'm just revealing data, Chris. I'm not. Well, the, but I just I'm, have I'm to not say, skewing it at all. He really was much better against righties in the minors. So I'm guessing that right, the, like, the small sample still, size in the I mean, majors is probably not going to hold up. And it was up. 50 games in the majors. Like, yeah, he, he, was, he put up all these elite numbers for 50 games in the majors. And, yes, he was good in AAA before that, although it was as a 26-year-old in his third stint at AAA. Uh, the year before, he was really mediocre. I mean, 108 games, 16 home runs, 759 OPS uh, between AA and AAA. He had a 404 on base percentage, Chris. How no, is that didn't. mediocre? Not in 2018. Okay, sorry. I was looking at 2017. And right. the, the thing enough. you also have to keep in mind for him is across the board, he was quite old for every level. So, yeah, he had a, an 875 OPS in 2017. That was as 24-year-old playing most of the season in double-A. Uh, he's a 25-year-old in 2018 uh, with 102 games at AAA, and he's mediocre. Yeah, but so, look, look yeah, at his he whole has minor a... league career. That that 2018 season is the outlier. 2017, like I said, he had a 404 on kind base of. percentage. He had 94 walks to 72 strikeouts in a season that was split between AA and AAA. As a 24-year-old, he wasn't even that old. 24 is, I mean, it's not old relative to all players in double, but like that's the average age of a AA player, sure. and that's including the journeymen and the lifers and the guys and the never going to be guys, you know, the, the 22 at double a is not old, but it's not necessarily a situation where you look at a 22 year old in double a and say, wow, he's really well ahead of the curve. That's pretty much where you're supposed to be. So I just, I don't know, man, hit like eight, well, Chris, what's the, what's the excuse? Open. What's the excuse for last year though? Like, I mean, there's no such thing as being too old for the majors. I mean, He's 26 going was, on 27, and he performed very well in the majors. It was 50 games, 163 plate appearances. That's like, I'm not saying it's not real, but when you talk about small sample sizes, that's a tiny sample size. But given the minor league track record and given the distribution of the production, I like, I just can't get over how good he was against lefties. This is Mike, I understand it this was is only Mike 30... Ford, by the way. I think we've gone, we've yeah. gone a long time without saying his name, so. <laughs> Mike Ford of I, the Yankees. I understand it was only 33 at-bats against lefties, but he hit seven that's, home runs in those 33 at-bats. What kind of left-handed hitter hits double-digit home runs against left-handed pitchers? Only, like, the most high end of them, and he was 
right on the verge of that. The guy facing uh, September lefties, maybe. I you know I just yeah I, like, I know like Nando has been so high on Mike Ford, and Nando has the tendency to like guys two years before they're good. So maybe Nando's gonna be right about this one, <laughs> but. But uh, like he did with Steve. Well, he Pierce. liked him two years ago. Right? Yeah. He, yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Yankees just never seem to like him that much. So, <laughs> like that's that's my hang up on Mike Ford. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just I, he needs like three guys to get hurt to play every day. I well, that's I don't know about thing. that. I think he needs one guy to get hurt because I just think it's to, I just think get, it's Voigt. I think he needs one guy to get hurt to play. Who's their uh, first baseman to, if Luke Voigt gets hurt? It would have to be LeMay. I don't think yeah, so. I, I think, think it's going to be LeMay. Yeah, I think Mayhew in there. And then who's your second baseman? You know, Glaber? Yeah, I don't and think it's your LeMayhew shortstop. Because, yeah. Yeah, they, so, they, they need LeMayhew at second base when last year they didn't. I think so it's Ford. Him. I think he's one player away. And he'd be interesting because guess what? He's got the same stadium if he's playing in New York or Tampa. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's I, that. I've only drafted him in in very deep leagues, but he's a he's a staple of my deep league teams, Mike Ford, because it's just kind of hoping hoping for a lot of bad things to happen, which sometimes that's, I mean, that's sometimes those bad things happen. Hey, see, I like yeah. uh, Jose Martinez. I know you had a whole list, Frank, of players who are backups for the Rays, right. but yeah, at- defense always been a problem for him, and they can DH him if they want. And we need 300 hitters, and he's capable of doing it. Uh, that was so frustrating that he got traded to the Rays because, you know, the last three years I've basically been saying, can we just get Jose Martinez somewhere where he can be a DH? And even before last year, I thought the Rays would be a great landing spot for Jose Martinez. And now they've got 40 players on their 25 man roster. And so, <laughs> but now you can expand uh, the rosters, we think. Right, but they just they have too many guys. I I, yeah. I I agree. I think he's a good hitter. I don't think there's a ton of power, but if he got full time plate appearances, uh, hitting three hundred with twenty homers is well within the realm of possibility. That'd be a very valuable player. It's just Tampa Bay has too many dudes. Expanding the rosters advantage Tampa Bay, and I do want to remind people in case you're wondering why the heck are they talking about Mike Ford and Jose Martinez. Crazy things happen throughout the course of a baseball season. So, look, you're not drafting these players outside of maybe AL only or deeper mixed roto leagues, uh, AL or NL only for some of the NL players that we'll talk about. But this is just a reminder, look, these are players that have underlying skill sets that can be useful for fantasy where if things happen, where if players are underperforming or if a player ahead of them in the depth chart gets hurt, then they do have the opportunity uh, and, you know, they, they could be viable for fantasy based on some of these underlying skills. So I just wanted to remind people that uh, Jose Martinez, you guys mentioned it, over the past three seasons, uh, his 25.7% line drive rate is ninth among qualified hitters. His 296 batting average is tied for 15th during that span with Yuli Gurriel. And Scott, Yuli Gurriel is such an interesting comp for me for Jose Martinez, because last year, Yuli Gurriel raised the launch angle, and he hit a career-high 31 home runs. If Jose Martinez were given an opportunity to play with Tampa Bay, one of the smartest organizations in baseball, who realized, okay, we're going to trade for Yandy Diaz, and we're going to try to elevate his launch angle, and they did it. If they can do something like that with Jose Martinez, then I'll just throw it out there. There is a chance that he can perform MVP. like someone like Yuli oh. Gurriel. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I think that's on. a fine comp. I just think 
I, you know, and I understand the premise is you're, we're, we're kind of counting th on things to, to break in a way that isn't, they're not necessarily expected to break. So I, I get that, but, but let's just talk about how unlikely it is for Jose Martinez, because I, I think it's just a situation where that could have been the case, especially for the organization who make big strides with Yandy Diaz and Avisal Garcia last year in terms of raising their launch angle. But there's just so much, so many um, redundancies here on their roster where, I mean, Yoshitomo Tsutsugo, he's already not looking at regular playing time. G-Man Choi. But what did you, those two uh, guys that you just mentioned are lefties. Yes. So, so I, Martinez, at least starts, he starts out by hitting against lefties. That's why yes, he's in the lineup then, every day against lefties. That's like, but then they got Manuel Margot from the Padres this offseason. They got Randy Arrows Arena, who is having a huge spring from the Cardinals. Those are both right-handed hitters. Margot can't uh, hit. Nate, Nate Lowe, I assume, on an expanded roster, Nate Lowe's going to be on it, and that's going to be more competition. These are all guys who are going to have to compete with each other for at-bats. And of them, the one uh, – well, of the right-handed hitters, anyway, the one that has the most dramatic splits is Jose Martinez. And obviously he has defensive shortcomings, too, probably the clearest defensive shortcomings of any of those players. So – I just don't see it. I just don't see the path there. I, I see it actually a little clearer for Mike Ford, honestly. Uh, I think that Martinez right now has got like this reputation of just being a lefty masher, not as good against righties. No, but he's in, not. In 2018, he was actually a lot better against righties. So He's just a good hitter. There's no question about that for me. I... I have much more confidence that he'll be a, an above-average hitter than I do Mike Ford. And Manuel Margot just... is a horrible hitter. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to say that. Yes. He's like... But he's a great defender. Yeah, but what is a DH, I'm thinking. But yeah, okay. He's yeah, a great guys. defender, and he's only 25 years old, so I don't think the book is totally written on Man Manuel the Margot. The problem with Jose Martinez is defense, obviously. He's also just an awful base runner, uh, maybe the worst in baseball. Okay, he's so... barely run the bases these days. <laughs> he really needs to hit, yeah. and you know he could. There was that stretch for the Cardinals All where right. he hit well enough that he got in. Let's the crap there. on but, someone else's suggestion. Uh, then. Well, I I think the most interesting players in this discussion kind of have to be the NL guys, because there's just going to be a more a more clear path to playing time for all of them because teams built these rosters. You know, you look at this list, and Tyler O'Neill and Dominic Smith are the two who jump out at me. Um, I think those guys can be very good hitters. Which two? Tyler O'Neill and O'Neal? And Dominic Smith. And they might just play every day now. They don't really need all that much to go right for them because the Cardinals and Mets built their rosters with the expectation that they'd have every day position player spots, eight everyday position player spots. Now they've got nine. That's and a good point. Dominic Smith is probably the ninth guy. You know, whether that's at DH or spelling... Pete Alonso at first base, or they played him in the outfield last season. P-E-T-E-A-L-O-N-S-O. Uh, I don't know what that is. You said spelling is Pete that a thing? You said spelling Pete Alonso. So. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and Tyler O'Neill, that's another one who, uh, you know, he still might win an outfield job. There's no guarantee that Dylan Carlson's up, although I think with... Well, even if they're both up, I mean, there's there's spots for both now. Dexter yeah, Fowler's so, in their outfield, so yeah. Yeah, even 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 include like what's the what's the Cardinals outfield alignment right now? I would assume it's Carlson, uh, Tommy Edmond. Well, no, oh man, I'm, I'm leaving out Harrison Bader Harrison in center. Bader, 
Okay. Fowler. Yeah, so Bader would definitely be in center. There would be O'Neal. There would be Fowler. There would be Edmund some days, and then there would be Carlson. Like if you are assuming Edmund's super utility role, there's enough room for everybody there. And yeah. even if you want Edmund in your outfield every day, kick Fowler out. You know, yeah, <laughs> you there's, got, there's room for all these guys. Yeah, and so that, and then you add in the DH, and it just it seems like he's going to get that opportunity. And you know, you look at what he did in, I think it was AAA in 2018. He was on something like a 50 homer, uh, 20 stolen base pace. I believe it was 2018 at AAA. Like there, yeah. there is just monstrous potential here for a guy who there's definitely power there's definitely power for tyler o'neill the strikeouts have gotten out of control yes uh, particularly of the past couple years so i don't when you know part of what's exciting about at least to me mike ford and and jose martinez by comparison is just i trust i i like what i see in the skills more than i do for o'neill but you're absolutely right of probably all the players on this list uh except maybe nick solak who we're we may or may not talk about. Uh, O'Neill probably has the clearest path to playing time. And the, you know, the strikeouts are a problem, but if he gets it, what he's been at at AAA is 27.1%. If Tyler O'Neill's a 27% strikeout rate in the minors, I think he's probably a must fantasy player. I don't think it's inconceivable that he can turn into like that Kyle Schwarber, Franmil Reyes. They don't they don't have the same type of batted ball profile, but someone who can who's going to strike out nearly 30% of the time who is going to hit 250 and has massive power upside. Like I think that's all yeah. realistic for Tyler O'Neill, who over the past two seasons uh, has a 46% hard contact rate which ranked 11th among all outfielders uh, with at least 250 plate appearances. So he hits the ball very hard. If you've ever seen a picture of this guy, I am comfortable saying that he is like a freak, a genetic freak. He is like chiseled from stone. I mean, he, yeah, he's he, built like he, Dan Ugla, right? He's, oh my God, Yeah, he's but ripped. Dan, even Dan Ugla wasn't. Dan Ugla had a, a little puffiness to him. Okay. Yeah, uh, he was Tyler like fat O'Neal, Tyler O'Neill is. <laughs> he's like, like Josh Dan, Bell's Dan dad. Yeah, yeah, like that. No, Tyler O'Neill is, is one of the biggest dudes in baseball, even though he's only 5'11". He is, yeah. he is beefy. Yeah. That's that's a beefy boy. He a little bit like Derek Dietrich. Like Derek Dietrich is jacked too. Yeah, yeah. There's that's another <laughs> that's that's another hot baseball guy. Jeez. You know, Chris, you uh you brought up your two favorite National League players here that I had on the list, and uh, the one that I actually like the most plays for your Miami Marlins, and it's Garrett Cooper. And I think that people are kind of forgetting how good he was last year, where he was really kind of just derailed by a terrible August. In August, he had 216 with a 581 OPS. Leading up to that, so through July 31st, he was hitting 293 with an 831 OPS. Uh, and then in September, he bounced back hitting 341 with three homers. So he was really just derailed by a terrible August. And I believe he was dealing with a hamstring injury at that point. I don't know that people realize how good Garrett Cooper was last year. I think they're kind of sleeping on this. And he was another guy, um, you know, the Yankees have had a pretty good track record of just turning, you know, it, Luke Voigt's one, Mike Ford's one, Mike Talkman another one, uh, turning kind of fringy guys in other people's organizations into pretty interesting hitters. And he had an absolutely monstrous 2017, hit 359, and, and that was kind of what put him 
uh, on people's radars, and then he couldn't stay healthy. Uh, in 2018, I think he broke his wrist like the second week of the season because uh, I had him on a couple of teams. I was pretty excited about him. And so, you know, the question for me ultimately comes down to does he play every day and does he have enough power? Um, I think the hit tool is good. I'm not sold on the power being good enough. I think if there's one person or I guess situation, let's call it a situation, that can get the most power out of Garrett Cooper, it might be what I'm about to tell you. Scott, tell me if I'm grasping at straws here, if I'm reaching too far, because I think an underrated storyline was that in the offseason, the Marlins brought in James Rousen to be their offensive coordinator. I never heard of an offensive coordinator for baseball, but that's his role. He's offensive coordinator and bench coach Calls the for the players. Miami Marlins. He was also the Twins' hitting coach last season, and from 2017 through 2019, Reminder, the Twins led baseball in home runs and led baseball in fly ball rate last year. So they really bought in, and now he's with the Marlins. If there's anybody who can help raise the launch angle of Garrett Cooper, it should be this guy, no, Scott? Do we really want Marlins hitters raising their launch angle? That's the first I, I think place. It's, it's in Garrett Cooper's case, it's less about raising the launch angle, although he did have a 53% ground ball rate, so hitting more uh, fly balls would be nice. Um, he is very much a balanced and leaning opposite field hitter. And it's really hard to hit for power if you do that. And that was the big change for the Twins last season was they made a, a concerted effort as a team to pull the ball. Pull the ball. And yeah. so, you know, if that's something that's going to happen with the Marlins, well, it's not a great park uh, to do it in. Well, they pulled the fences in a little bit too. They moved the fences in a little bit. And it's always been tougher on left-handed hitters than right-handed hitters. That's that's where Marlins Park, and really going back to the, you know, Joe Robbie Stadium days, the Marlins for some reason just don't want lefties to thrive. <laughs> They're biased against them. And so uh, Garrett Cooper, if he can become a little bit more pull happy, uh, he's a big dude. Hard hard hit rate and exit velocity are kind of average-ish, but um, you know th there could be a 25 homer pace with a decent batting average there. I could see him yeah. hitting 280 and, and being productive. Like a like a better version of uh, Brian Anderson, maybe. That's, that's the good scenario for yeah. Cooper. But another thing I want to bring up, and without getting too stuck on Gary Coop, Garrett Cooper, but this... I mean, we spent 20 other, minutes on Mike Ford, so... <laughs> leads into some other interesting players. I'm, I'm going through the process right now of looking at each team and who, which player... Uh, prospect but not in such strict terms they you know just player who otherwise would have begun the year in the minors stands to benefit most from expanded rosters and the marlins have i think some of the most interesting players there the one i'm going with for the column is monty harrison who <laughs> was having a huge spring and is already 25 i think um god is he really he's not young man lewin davis he's, would be another 24. one though Lewin Harrison, twenty-four. Lewin, Diaz. Sorry, yeah, Lewin Diaz. Lewin Diaz. Lewin Davis. Great movie. Lewin <laughs> <laughs> Diaz is who I meant. Who they who they just acquired from the Twins, right? Um, power hitting first baseman. So they're going to have some. They're going to have to find time, I think, for some players who are probably they're hoping are a bigger part of their future for Garrett Cooper. And, you know, 
I just don't know. I just don't know. He'll have to hit the ground running, I think, to force his way into the mix there, even with the DH spot opening up, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, they uh, they were talking about Lewin Diaz possibly making it to the majors, and he's someone who, uh, like you said, started to grow into his power last season after being uh, a guy who people projected that for and who had hit for pretty decent batting averages before. Adam, the people want to hear from you. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to choose a player on this list of interesting players from, who haven't we talked about? Nick Solak, Miles Straw, Luis Rengifo, and Austin Allen. We didn't really talk about Dominic Smith much. We mentioned him. Oh, Jose Peraz is on the list too. Who Of those names, who would you oh, like to address? It's got to be Nick Solak, right? It's Dominic Smith. Just one thing to remember for Dominic Smith is that Yoannis Cespedes could be back healthy at some point, maybe when the season starts. That won't help. Um, same thing with Jed Lowry. But, yeah, I, I, he did put up good numbers and, you know, whatever. I think Chris covered him. Nick Solak was awesome last year. Uh, 293 batting average, five home runs, one walk for every two strikeouts. Not bad for his first taste of the majors. If I remember correctly, there were some, some steals in his minor league history. He had like a 20 steal season. There were, yeah. It was. Yep. So um, he's got to be the one, and I think Scott would, would even argue that he's – not not even a part-time player, Nick Solak. Yeah, there was some talk that maybe he could win the center field job and Danny Santana would be the super uh, super utility guy. Uh, they decided already before they even before spring training shut down that they weren't going to do that that Danny Santana was the full-time center fielder, which would leave Solak to play a super utility role, but that means a lot of it bats still. I think he's their preferred choice to So but out. who's going to have a better year at the plate? Danny Santana or, or Nick Solak? Because I just don't believe in Danny Santana. I, uh, yeah, no, I I don't have a lot of faith in Danny Santana either. Uh, he does hit the ball hard. I think there's a chance he just lives up to it. Um, and, you know, he's more proven, I guess you'd have to say, than Solak at this point. But there there is a lot I like about Solak. I don't even consider him so much a deep sleeper. He's just a, a sleeper. I try to... Any Rota League with a bench, probably, I'm making a play for Nick Solak. It hurts that he's DH only right now, but I don't expect that to be a long-term issue. There is some questions about there are some questions about whether he elevates the ball enough to sustain even close to the power production he had last year. It was 32 home runs between the majors and minors, but of course that was at the the juiced ball inflated PCL. A lot of well, only 10 of those 32 home runs came there, but still that was it was it was part of the huge season he had. He did hit 19 home runs two years ago at double A. So it's it's not like last year was his only demonstration of power. I mean, 19 home runs from a minor league hitter is pretty good. Uh, and that was a 19 homer, 21 steal season. Mostly, I like the bat skills. I like the on-base skills for Nick Solak. And a guy who does those two things in this environment, you, you can have hope that he grows into power just because it's so easy to cultivate at the major league level at this point. And he's already demonstrated it to a degree. So I think I, I definitely could see a scenario here where things go very well for Nick Solak and he ends up. He's probably better than Rugnet Odor. Uh, ends up being a right? He's probably player. better than Rugnet Odor. If he, if whoa, he's, whoa, whoa, guys. If, he play, if yeah. he's good, he'll play. They've got spots for him. Um, yeah. So, Solak forever. I, I also, think what, what might, what might be most realistic for Solak is moving Todd Frazier across the diamond, playing him at first base, and playing Solak at third base. 
which I think is a possibility. I don't know if he's ever played third base, but I would he imagine some last year he played. Some yeah, last year. like they're like they'll find a way to get him in. I, I think that they want his bat in there, and you know they were trying him out in left field once Willie Calhoun suffered the fractured jaw, but with the season being delayed, uh, it seems like Willie Calhoun is going to be good to go whenever we start up. So I think the most realistic shot. We move Todd Frazier across. We like we're the you know the manager of the Rangers. You're the hitting the coach. Uh, we move him <laughs> to to first base. Uh, Ronald Guzman kind of becomes that you know bench bat for them, um, and then they have Nick Solak at third. So that's ultimately uh, what I'm hoping for. Let's get some everyday at bats for Nick Solak, man. That would be great. Uh, I do have some other names, but you can find those over at CBSSports.com. There's going to be an article coming out uh, over the weekend here uh, that I wrote regarding some of these other names on this list who are backups. Uh, just pay attention to the numbers that they have put up, and if anything were to happen to the players ahead of them, that they can have an opportunity to compete and make some noise for fantasy baseball. But I did want to deep dive Chris Paddock. We spoke about Gary Sanchez early, earlier in the show, and Adam, you mentioned Chris Paddock the other day, and you said it all comes down to the curveball for him, and I agree with you. I think if he can, you know, continue to improve on that third pitch. He throws mid-90s with the fastball. He's got a, something called a Vulcan changeup. I've never heard of a Vulcan changeup before Chris Paddock. Like this. It is it is a That's, phenomenal changeup. It's, it's like great. A, it's like a split change that you hold between your uh, ring and middle finger. It's ridiculous. It, it's a great changeup. He has two pitches. He needs to continue developing the curveball. Adam, if the curveball is just adequate, I feel in 2020 then we could be looking at a top 10 season out of Chris Paddock. I agree. I think that he could be the next Walker Bueller, the next Jack Flaherty, the, the next true ace in uh, in fantasy baseball and in baseball for years to come. His minor league numbers are ridiculous. I do think his curveball is going to end up being a pretty good pitch. Uh, I like the fact that he's ridiculously cocky. <laughs> if you remember that series <laughs> against the Mets where he was like so pumped to oh, that go was against amazing. Peter Lanza, like – I love it, and I just don't really know what the beef is here. You know, he, he had a 333 ERA over a strikeout per inning with 31 walks and 140 and two-thirds. He had a great, great rookie season, and I, I almost feel like people are looking for reasons not to like Chris Paddock when you just need to, like, relax, well, breathe it in, and be like, yeah, Chris Paddock's going to be awesome. I mean, he's like a top 55 pick, right? Um. On average? Probably. The ADP right now for Chris Paddock is 51.6. Yeah, I, I don't think there's that many people I don't know. looking for reasons I don't not feel to draft the, I don't feel the enthusiasm. Uh, the, maybe it's, Scott, maybe it's the, Scott's the, fault. The peripherals, <laughs> the peripherals aren't great. The, the FIP especially is, is higher than you would think. Um, I think it's just really, like, I don't even know if it's a deep dive. I really think it is just that. He's got two excellent pitches, including one that is, you know, it rivals Luis Castillo's for the best changeup in baseball and one of the best pitches in baseball. Uh, the problem is it's just he doesn't have that that third pitch. You know, he he started trying to use a different grip on his curveball last season. He was working on that over the offseason as well. So that just right there tells you that, you know, that, that pitch is legitimately a work in progress uh which is surprising for a 24 year old although his minor league track record didn't include much work uh because of tommy john surgery and well so, and that and that hurts too because like part of the problem with just a two-pitch arsenal is how how predictable do you become and he yeah. we haven't seen him at any level for very long 
Like nobody had a chance to get used to Chris Paddock. And so, Adam, you saying you feel like people are trying to find reasons to not like Chris Paddock. I mean, that's kind of, you know, you could point to me for doing that because among the ace class or near ace class, he's actually pointing to me now, of starting pitchers, that's kind of the process. You yeah. look for downsides. You look for how things could go wrong. And to me, there are clearer signs of that for Chris Paddock than, than most any other. The two biggest ones being limited arsenal, so how predictable does he become over time? And two, he's among the most fly ball prone of those class of starting pitchers at a time in baseball where fly balls are especially dangerous. And you see it reflected in the FIP and the XFIP. The XFIP was over four. Uh, you know, I, I could just see him taking a step back when the the w- broad presumption seems to be that he's going to take a step So, back. yeah. I, what, oh, what's interesting, okay, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. What's interesting is he was actually really, really good the third time he faced batters. Uh, 558 OPS allowed, 4-1 to strikeout-to-walk ratio, which is the opposite of what you would expect with a guy with a short arsenal, but... I, I think there's partially a like survivorship bias at play in that kind of thing where he saw batters the third time in a game almost exclusively when he was really rolling. Uh, so I, I don't know how much to take out of that, especially because it's only 106 plate appearances. So uh, what I wanted to say was, yeah, the downside to not having that third pitch is in two great examples, Luis Castillo and Luis Severino. And I think both of them in their second years took a step back and both of them had home run issues, as I recall. But then they, but Severino developed the third pitch and became, I still think, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, Castillo hopefully can can do the same. I, but Paddock, when you look at his home road splits and his fly ball tendencies, he gave up 23 home runs and 16 of them, or 17 of them, no, 16 of them came on the road. So maybe his home ballpark. Gives I don't know if he's going to play in his home ballpark this year, but just gen- generally that's, speaking, that's the thing. maybe his home ballpark yeah. gives him a crutch that Severino didn't have. You know, I I, yeah. I do think the Severino and Castillo comparisons are 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 worth diving into a little bit because of those two guys, Severino is the one who jumped up and became a legitimate ace, while Luis Castillo, even when he was very good last season, you know, fourteenth. Among starting pitchers in both Roto and points, I believe, uh, super inconsistent. Uh, had stretches of absolute dominance. Had a stretch towards the end of the season where he was really bad. And the thing that gives Luis Severino an edge is, you know, you look at the the pitch arsenals that they have. Luis Severino's big fastball, great slider, and so it was about developing that third pitch, the changeup, to keep lefties off balance. But you're going to face more righties than you are lefties. So if you're a fastball slider guy, that gives you an edge over a fastball changeup guy because the changeup is that pitch that you would typically use to neutralize opposite-handed hitters. Uh, So you're not going to have that case where, like Luis Severino, you you may not be super dominant against right-handed or against same-handed batters the way you would uh, typically expect. Yeah. So Castillo and Paddock both being the fastball change fastball guys. Change-up. And, so there's and, the clear connection there. Yeah, and Paddock's fastball is good. It's not Luis Castillo's or Luis Severino's in terms of velocity or speed. So how many, so that, how that's many guys, 20, I would love to know, 23-year-olds who threw 
you know, 100-something. He threw 140. Had a sub-one whip. <laughs> How many 23-year-olds have done yeah. that? That's a, it's amazing. And, and and then there's this additional piece of data that I don't know how to reconcile yet. I haven't looked at it closely enough, and I'm not even sure looking at it closely is is going to tell me that much yet. But okay, we we cite the FIP, we cite the XFIP for how how Chris Paddock's ERA could go wrong. What about this new XERA stat that Statcast has just introduced that shows him top ten? in all of baseball last year at 328. That's much better than 406 or whatever the XFIP is. Like, how do you factor that in? I, I don't know yet, but it's, it's, it's stupid. It gives a, it gives a different <laughs> oh, stance ridiculous. on that. Two years will have a new stat. Just like, just for the know. forget the, the FIP. The guy was a bull in the minors. 182 ERA, 0.8 whip. 230 strikeouts and 100 to 20 walks in 177 and two thirds. And then he goes up and has a good rookie year. I just think it's obvious. He's really good. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you this, Adam, since you seem the most enthusiastic. He was my player. I loved as we all remember. And you pointed out the, and you pointed out the home away splits. If they are in Arizona, that ridiculous hitting environment, I put him as one of the 10 biggest losers in all of baseball. If that happens, because yeah, I agree. I mean, I, just looking at the home away splits with the home runs, it's, it'll be a problem. I agree. For I mean, I don't think he can reach his full potential this year if he's if he's playing in a huge hitter's environment. And I, I mean, I feel like I feel like there are very few pitchers who wouldn't lose. You have to be a true stud, and he's not quite there yet. I mean, he, yeah. he might be, but I don't think he is. So yeah, I, he, it would be it would be bad. I'm more doing this argument uh, how I think he is uh, in terms of skill, in terms of what we could normally expect. Everything changes. We'll do all the position sure. previews again. Well, when we find out where everyone's playing. There, there's a German phrase. Der Narcissisme der kleinen Differenzen. I, uh, the narcissism of small differences. And I have that that's tattoo what on you're my dealing arm. With. Yeah, I mean, my yeah. lower back, actually. Uh, that's, what you're, that's what you're dealing with when it comes to discussions about pitchers at this level. Is Like Scott said at the, at the top of the Chris Paddock discussion. Ultimately, you're trying to find these minute razor thin margins where uh, one guy falls short and another guy succeeds. And that can be all the difference between a good pitcher and an ace. And, you know, that's ultimately, I think, the thing with Chris Paddock is he's not necessarily a slam dunk ace yet. We all see the potential for it. But if you're if you're asking why someone might not have him ranked as an ace. Well, that's that's why. Although I do want to point out, Luis Castillo has been better against righties and lefties, so I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) The last thing I'll add on Chris Paddock, and I think this is what Adam is saying when he's like, just throw the FIP and the XFIP out the window, is that we don't necessarily have a stat that quantifies just knowing how to pitch. And Chris Paddock is one of those guys who even at 23 years old last year, you watch him pitch on the mound, he has the demeanor, he knows how to pitch. He mixes in and out to hitters. He goes up and down. He just understands how to pitch. And we don't necessarily have a stat, or at least I don't know about it, that that tells us that someone knows how to pitch. Because sometimes we hear, you know, someone is a thrower. They're not a pitcher yet, and they're still kind of learning the process of being a pitcher. Chris Paddock is a pitcher. So just, take that for what it's I don't worth. know. We, we've spent, like, the last 20 years since defense independence pitching stats were a thing trying to identify which guys are 
uh, the outliers who will continuously outperform the peripherals. And we basically fail every time. Uh, you can argue like, oh, well, he gets more pop-ups and, you know, you have a Marco Estrada type. And, you know, Chris Paddock sort of has a similar, it's a weird comp, but he does sort of have a similar approach yeah, to Marco Estrada. He, you know, he's a, he's an overhand pitcher rather than three quarters delivery. It's a lot of high fastballs, low change-ups. But the stats um, keep changing. So maybe he can run. The stats keep what? changing. The ones where they were supposed to use keep right, changing. But they, but, Scott just cited one that has but, him as a top 10 pitcher. Sure, but FIP like still gets nobody the job uses FIP. For the most it's always part. Sierra now and XFIP. Right, right, right. No, no. That, that's the thing is that there's a lot of stats and they've gotten marginally better. And there's like DRA, DERA from Baseball Prospectus, and there's Sierra, and now this XERA, which is brand new, and I don't know how predictable it is, but I just the basics still get you most what was of his the FIP? way there. And so I. St- I think it was like so that's the seven, thing. Like, it, the funny thing is, if you just take his FIP instead of his ERA and still give him his WHIP, his strikeout rate, I'm still going to be basically just as enthused about Chris Paddock. He still would have had an awesome rookie season. Right. the The WHIP is obviously heavily influenced by the unsustainably unsustainably low. Too batters. good to be true, so that, but you know, still projects to be a good WHIP guy because his control is so good. Like he's yeah. really good. Yeah, I want to answer a few questions here. Fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. And true story, I asked Adam either last night, earlier today, uh, if he can share the regulator's torch. Because we, for the first time, received a regulator's question here since I've been hosting the show. So, Adam, will you virtually pass me the regulator's Frank, torch? Frank, it would be my honor to deny you that honor. I have changed my mind. You do not get the regulator's Okay. <laughs> Play it. Play <laughs> right, it, Frank. Question. Play that. Right. Play that. That tune. There it is. Oh, sweet sounds. Who does the uh, Who does the grunt at this point, though? I'll I'll still do it. Oh. <laughs> I missed yeah. it. I missed my cue. I couldn't hear it that well. Well, the torch has been officially passed. Then you uh Good job. This one's from JP in Queens, New York. Shout out to JP. Who knows? He might live next door for all I know. Uh, my league drafted two days ago. Two days before the, not two days ago, two days before the supposed season was about to start. So we all knew there was a delay. We voted whether or not we should delay the draft, and it was 11 to 1 in favor of drafting, me being the lone no. So no one does, so as one does, I can't read, I sucked it up and started to prepare. I wasn't only doing player evaluations like usual but planning, expecting a shortened season, at which players would benefit. So I ended up with a pretty good team. I got Herman Marquez late, avoided some Rockies hitters. I got Jesus Lazardo. All in all, the league wants to now vote to redo the draft. So this guy originally was on the other side. He didn't want to draft early. He wound up with an amazing team. And now he doesn't want to redraft, and the rest of the league is putting it up for vote, and they want to redraft. Ridiculous. JP, you played this beautifully. You are a genius. If you do live next door to Mm. Frank, you probably still won't be able to see each other for another month or so, but that's a shame. But you guys should hang out because you're two brilliant fantasy minds. No way is this league drafting again. When everyone except you voted to draft, you took advantage of it. You are the man, and I will not allow it. If they, it, we we will kick them out of fantasy baseball forever if they redraft. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the fact that the fact that they already decided to do this uh, when the se- they they knew the season was delayed and they knew there would be 
some kind of impact from that that they couldn't quite predict at that moment and they still voted to go through with it i mean that's on all of them it's different when you had your draft before we knew it was coming and that the season was going to be delayed in that way and i could understand that more but the one thing i do want to call bs on is two days before the intended start of the season so what would have that been march 24th yes um like nobody was talking about teams opening the season at their spring training sites. Why were you consciously avoiding Rocky setters? There was no reason for that yet. I, I, I dispute that you were doing that. He's a visionary. I dispute that you were doing that intentionally. You know, most of us like to be kind and generous to our listeners, but I guess Scott, Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't want to be a part of that. Do you really like to be that Chris? (laughs) I think the evidence would show otherwise. (laughs) No, I mean, next question. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to the next question. You should absolutely kick those guys out of their league. Just leave the league if they don't, if they try to redraft because you guys, you you did a phenomenal job. I'm fine with redrafting it. For Matthew, hello, Malcolm, Dewey, Francis, and There's no way Frank's seen that show. I have no idea what this is. He, he kind of looks like he's middle. part of that family. You do. You could be one of them. This is Malcolm in the Malcolm in what the is middle. It? This is Malcolm yeah, in the middle. Yeah. Oh, you he, mean that other show Brian Cranston? Yeah, was in? yeah, yeah. Brian yeah, yeah. Cranston before Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Long time listener, first time emailer. Twelve team head to head categories league redraft. My starting pitchers are solid: Garrett Cole, Zach Greinke, Lucas Giolito, Matthew Boyd, and Mad Bum. I would say a little bit better than solid. I have three bench spots I'd like to fill with starting pitchers. Pick three of these guys. Josh James, Adrian Hauser, Jose Urquidy, Cole Hamels, Brendan McKay, Ross Stripling, friend of the show, hmm. Dylan Cease, Nate Pearson, Ryan Yarbrough, Alex Wood, Rich Hill. Uh, Rich Hill would be my first pick. Uh, it's going to depend, but I want to say Nate Pearson. I just think the upside is so considerable. The talent is so considerable. Uh, maybe I'm getting too hyped about the couple of spring training appearances that he had, but I I, I wouldn't want to let that kind of potential go away. And then... Have you turned on James Josh James here, Chris? No, I'm not. Whoa, look, look. That doesn't mean I'm turning on him. Although, so you're you know, picking him then, right? Josh James has similar problems to uh, Dylan Cease. I think the talent level is similar, so... You go ahead and flip a coin on those two guys. Well, we haven't seen Cease strike out 15 batters per nine innings in the majors yet. No, but we haven't seen him walk. We haven't seen him walk seven per nine or whatever it was like James did last year. And we've seen James minor league numbers be just as ridiculous. So I think Andy pitches for the Astros instead of the White Sox. Ah. James was actually going to be my first choice. I like Urquidy. Yeah, it's it's Hauser, Urquidy, James. Wood, Hill, Pearson. I just between think those six for me, I'm actually leaving Cease out of it. I just don't think Hauser or Katie have the upside those guys do. That doesn't okay. mean that they're the it pick, though. You know, I mean... It's a head-to-head categories league, so, I mean, I'm leaning towards who's the best on a per-inning basis. You know, not necessarily who's going to, you know, go deep into games or... or you know, accumulate numbers. It's just you know who's going to be who's going to give you the best rate stats on a, on a per-start basis. I, I would have to imagine Rich Hill is up there. Yeah, and Pearson would be up there. Yeah, yeah. Alex Wood might be third if you're doing strictly rates. I mean, I, right. I'm skeptical he's going to go five innings with much consistency, but that that's my biggest. Pick three, concern everybody. For pick Wood. three. All right, 
I'm going James. I'm going Pearson. I'm going. I'm going. <sighs> Urquidy. I'm going. Really? Urquidy over I'm Hill? I'm going old here. I'm going Urquidy, Hamels, Hill. Hill, Pearson, Actually, Hamels is such a whip killer. Urquidy, Hill, Josh James. Actually, I'm going Ur- Hill, <laughs> Pearson, Wood. Oh is everybody God. taking notes? All right. I'm going to go Rich Hill, Alex Wood, and Nate Pearson. So I feel like there's a lot of Rich Hill on that list. Um, but I hope we helped you, uh, Matthew. First time. Hey, Frank, I just want to say something real quick. Malcolm in the Middle is one of those interesting shows where the main character is also the least interesting character. And I, The mom yeah. was the best character on the show, right? I think Brian Cranston. Well, I liked Hal. Probably, I, I like Dewey. Yeah, Malcolm was the worst. Was and I think, I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine also fits that description. I think everybody's better than it. Uh, and, Andy he, and I like Andy Sandberg, but like all the characters are better. He's very funny in that show. The, the Backstreet Boys cold open is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. On That's great. Andy Sandberg is pretty good, though. He is, but actually, Amy's Amy's my least I, favorite. You know, uh, you know who's the worst character on Brooklyn Nine Nine is? Who is it? Terry Crews. No, I love character. Terry. I agree with oh, that. Oh, come on! No, I think Terry and Rosa are at the bottom of the list for me. I, I don't you like don't Rosa's like character Rosa? development. I liked I, no. Rosa at the start. Oh, Rosa's but great. They just they just seem to kind of run out of. I don't know the character. Okay, was, everybody Scott on knows. three Scott on three knows. name the best character. On Brooklyn Nine Nine, ready? One, two, three. Holt. Captain Holt. Holt. Captain Holt. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't We're even finally in the agreement. There is no, there's no other answer. That'll do it. We're wrapping up here, fantasy baseball today. Everyone, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again on Monday. Bye bye. It's gonna be May.